This is The Guardian. Today, how a raid on a refugee camp in Palestine gives us a glimpse of a possible future for an old conflict. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I woke up about 7.30 on Monday morning and I was actually in Tel Aviv because I was supposed to be doing interviews and reporting in Tel Aviv that day. Bethan McKernan is The Guardian's Jerusalem correspondent, and she started this week with plans to cover protests in Israel over controversial government reforms. But that isn't what she ended up doing. I realised, you know, just from glancing at my phone and how many messages and alerts there were on it, that something really out of the ordinary kind of massive had happened. The, the IDF updates said that airstrikes had been conducted in the Janine camp. I mean, that's the sentence that... You know, no one's uttered in 20 years. So I knew I knew that I had to basically throw out everything I was doing for the day, um, drive back to Jerusalem, pick up my flak jacket and my helmet, and then drive up to Janine. A refugee camp in Janine, a city in the north of the Palestinian territories, was under a full-scale raid by the Israeli army, and Bethan went to see what it looked like. I mean, the way that I normally go, you sort of drive down a mountain into the valley, and from the top of that, that ridge... You could see clearly lots of black and white smoke rising from the from the direction of Janine. It was immediately clear there'd been major explosions and, and airstrikes. You don't just see that every day. This is one of the main streets here in the camp, and it's been turned to mud. All of the infrastructure here torn up by one of the worst raids this camp has seen in some 20 years. The outskirts were kind of like a ghost town, you know, everything was closed. Um, It was really eerie. And then towards the centre, it was basically like a wall of of black smoke from these burning tyres that the Palestinians had set alight. Right outside the camp, there was tear gas, you can feel it in, in your throat, in your nose, in your eyes. And a lot of explosions, a lot of gunfire... It was very intense. It, 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 it looks how you would imagine a war zone would look. It's easy for events in Israel and Palestine to blur into what feels like an endless stream of violence. But actually, things there are changing really quickly. And this week's news, a raid on a Palestinian city and reprisal attacks in the Israeli city of Tel Aviv, are not just a return to the West Bank's troubled past. If you look closer, they might be a preview of where the conflict is going next. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, what a raid on Janine says about the future of Israel and Palestine. So, Bethan, tell us about Janine. What kind of city is it? Janine 
is located at the very northwest top of the of the West Bank, the occupied West Bank. It's relatively very close to to the Green Line, which is the sort of de facto border of what a Palestinian state would be that that separates Israel from the occupied Palestinian territory. So I think because of its proximity to Israel, Janine's really kind of cultivated this reputation for resistance to the occupation and defiance and a kind of lawlessness. So it was a major target in the second intifada, which was between 2000 and 2005. I think probably the absolute fiercest battle in the entire five years is called the Battle of Janine. Israel security doctrine is one, self-defense. And this is exactly what our forces are doing now in the Balata and Janine refugee camp. They lost 23 soldiers. So it really, it, it has this kind of almost mythological hold on both the Israeli and the Palestinian imagination, as you can imagine. Another really important thing to know about Janine is that there's 19 refugee camps in the West Bank, which sounds really weird to say in 2023, but these are camps that were set up in the late 40s or the early 50s to house Palestinians who were expelled from what is now Israel after the creation of the Israeli state. There's still to this day really, really poor, poverty-stricken, crime-ridden places because the Palestinian Authority has never really done much to improve the lives of the people there. And so this camp that was the centre of this week's raid, how many people live in it and what are conditions like inside? How many people live in it is a very good question because officially, according to Palestinian census data, it's about 12,000 people, but the UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees puts the number at 18,000. So I don't know. (laughs) But what I do know is that it's a really tiny area. It's basically like one kilometre square. And whether it's 11,000 people or 18,000 people, you know, they all live within this very cramped, rabbit warren, labyrinthine camp where there's basically not very many services. There are no jobs. You know, it's a ghetto or a slum, but the name for that now in Palestine is, you know, the camps. Bethan, in some respects, the events of this week didn't come out of nowhere. They've been building up for months, maybe even years. Tell me about what's been happening in the recent past in this region that culminated in the raid on Monday. These kind of tensions have been building with the ongoing occupation and the continuing encroachment of Israeli settlers onto Palestinian land and the fact that those settlers are getting more and more violent and they basically act with impunity because the Israel Defence Forces basically either turns a blind eye or sometimes they even join in. Hundreds of Israeli settlers have stormed Palestinian properties in the occupied West Bank, according to Palestinian authorities, killing one man. The Israeli army confirmed the violence, saying that hundreds of Israelis set fire to dozens of vehicles and buildings in the region. The riots come a day after an attack on Israel. You know, all of these different factors mean that 
these tensions have been building for a while. And what we saw last spring in March 2022 was a spate of Palestinian terrorist attacks that were some of the worst in years committed against civilians in, in Tel Aviv, in Beersheba, in, in several different places all over the country. Israeli police shoot dead a Palestinian man who rammed his car into people in Tel Aviv. And a lot of these attackers, or the planning for these attacks, according to Israeli intelligence, originated in Janine. Um, and a lot of attackers have fled to Janine. So in response to these attacks, last year the army launched this massive operation called Operation Breakwater, which essentially has targeted Janine and also Nablus, which is quite close, on an almost nightly basis. And now airstrikes have been used again in the West Bank for the first time in 20 years. They, you know, that, that barrier has been broken. It's like we've crossed the Rubicon. And so how did this raid play out starting on Monday morning? I mean, it's... It's quite a sad thing to say, but I think the people who live in Janine Camp are, at this point, 15 months into Operation Breakwater, they're fairly used to army raids, you know, they're not out of the blue. So I think when when it began at, at one o'clock in the morning on Monday, most people probably thought, I can't believe I'm saying this, but, you know, oh, it's just another raid. Mm. And it usually lasts a couple of hours and then it's over. But you know, it began with drone strikes on what the IDF said was a, a command centre for, for militants in the camp. Late last night, the IDF launched a comprehensive action against terrorist strongholds in Jenin. In recent months, Jenin has become a safe haven for terrorists. As I speak, our troops are battling the terrorists with unyielding resolve and fortitude. And I think even just the sort of decibel level of the explosions and the, the shooting sort of made people realise immediately that this wasn't, you know, just another raid, that this was, this was something different. And it was about 80 army vehicles, you know, poured in from every entrance of the camp and basically surrounded it. I think the scale of it only kind of really became clear to people when, you know, dawn broke and it was still really fierce fighting and there were snipers on many, many rooftops and several people said, you know, they were afraid to go outside because they thought they'd get shot. Do we have any sense of who in this camp the Israelis were targeting? The Israelis were targeting a group that call themselves the Janine Brigades. It's sort of like a quite loose affiliation of lots of the traditional Palestinian armed factions. But also this new generation of fighters who are, some of them are, you know, 16, 17 years old. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> they don't necessarily identify with those traditional factions and they don't necessarily take orders from them. For 20 years, this camp, the Janine refugee camp, has been a hotbed of violent resistance against the Israelis. It's also been the location for the planning of attacks against civilians inside Israel itself. But now there is 
a step change in the atmosphere here, as if something much more violent is to come. These young men are getting killed in their a couple every single raid, basically, and 12 this week in, in Operation Home and Garden. But every time one of them gets killed, basically, they have even more kind of determination to fight and to to avenge their friends and family and, and their loved ones. So they are armed and they have definitely killed several Israelis this year in different attacks. But we're not talking about highly trained, highly organized groups that people usually think about when they think about armed Palestinian resistance. Like they're not like Hamas in Gaza, for example. It sounds like these are a different kind of militants to, to the sorts of people we've seen in the past. Yeah, they're just, they're very disillusioned. They don't really feel like they have anything to live for. I think a lot of them are motivated more by that really kind of empty, negative idea that their lives don't mean anything. So they'd rather die, you know, in a, a glorious death as a martyr, mm. defending Palestine and defending their brothers and sisters than living what is basically a life of abject poverty in the camp where nothing they have seen in their whole lives suggests that anything will ever get better. You know, things only get worse. Bethan, as this raid was happening and you were in Janine itself, tell me about some of the people you spoke to and the things that they said were going on in there. I met a fighter actually near the hospital and he had this white t-shirt on and it was covered in dried blood and he he said he was 29 and that his brother who was 18 had been killed and he just relayed all this information in the kind of most matter-of-fact way like it didn't mean anything um and you know maybe he was still in shock or sleep deprived I mean you know god knows what was going on in his head Hmm. and I asked him you know aren't you afraid if you go back in the camp that they're going to kill you? But he said, you know, I'm, I I live through the Second Intifada. Like, I grew up in the Second Intifada. I have seen everything and nothing scares me. What's the worst they can do? And that sentiment is, you know, it's really shared by a lot of people. And, and we can talk again and again about how Israel has a, a legitimate right to defend itself from, from terrorism. It's just, it's very hard to see where you could even begin to to bring around a generation like that who they literally don't see any other kind of future. And Bethan, the fighting, as it often does, started in the West Bank, but quickly rebounded into Israel itself. Tell me what happened in Tel Aviv. So on day two of the operation in Janine, it seems that a, a Palestinian man from Hebron, which is a city in the south of the West Bank, he managed to get into Israel without any kind of permit. And he had a car and he basically mowed down several people waiting at a bus stop in the middle of Tel Aviv. And then he got out of the car and he stabbed somebody before a passerby on a motorbike who had a gun basically shot and killed him and and then the attack was over. But um, nine people were injured, four of them seriously. And I think the last thing I read was that one of the victims was a 30-year-old woman and she was pregnant and she lost her baby. Oh, God. Mm. 
you can see why there's this sort of deteriorating sense of security for for the Israeli public, you know? Like, these things are happening on a more and more regular basis. Israel has withdrawn its troops from the West Bank city of Jenin this morning, ending an intense two-day military operation in the city. At least 12 Palestinians and one Israeli soldier were killed in the fighting. Israel claims it launched the operation to destroy militant infrastructure... Overnight on Tuesday, the Israeli Defence Forces pulled out of Jenin, saying their operation had been a success. But was it? Did they achieve what they claimed they wanted to? It's, it's a weird one, this, because... You know, the, the, there's been talk in the Hebrew media for months that some kind of large operation has been planned for the West Bank. So it was just a question of, you know, execution and when it would happen as opposed to if it would happen. And like I say, there's been this political pressure from the right wing of the country to do more to combat the terrorist attacks. But it does... It feels a little like the, the airstrikes, you know, a three-day siege of the camp, basically. I mean, you know, Israel sent three elite combat units. I mean, the IDF denies its excessive force, but, I mean, all of the, the 12 who were killed, I think the oldest of them is 22. So these are not, you know, elite, highly trained master strategists. They are, you know, they are the youth of the camp. So tactically... The IDF say differently, obviously, but you could argue that this operation was partly kind of for show. And all it's going to do is, you know, raise the stakes even more. Bethan, we've covered the violence in this region many times on the show, and usually we focus on the actions of the Israeli government. The fact that they continue to occupy the West Bank, continue to build illegal settlements, the growing extremism of the people running Israel, including the fact that its Minister for National Security is a convicted racist who, until recently, had a picture of a Jewish mass murderer on his wall. And all of that very clearly fuels the violence that we've been seeing over the past year. But there's another side to this, and that's the Palestinian leadership in the West Bank. Tell me about them and how they came to power. So after the first intifada and then the peace process called the Oslo Accords in the 90s, that basically resulted in the creation of this semi-autonomous civil administration body called, well, in English, it's called the Palestinian Authority. Today, the leadership of Israel and the Palestine Liberation Organization will sign a declaration of principles on interim Palestinian self-government. It charts a course toward reconciliation between two peoples who have both known the bitterness of and exile. This, this was only supposed to be a temporary measure. Like, the, the PA was only supposed to exist for five years, and that was supposed to be part of this path to, to Palestinian statehood, like proper you know, actual statehood. But what happened is that the the second intifada broke out in the year 2000, and that just never happened. So the PA has de facto remained, you know, the government body in the West Bank since the 90s. So what the Palestinian people have basically been left with is this undemocratic, unelected you know, aging, corrupt government that basically resembles quite a lot of other governments in the Middle East. And there is still no prospects of any elections. I mean, Abu Mazen, the 
the the Palestinian Authority president, Mahmoud Abbas, but he's known as Abu Mazen here. The man is 88 years old. He was elected to a four-year term in 2005, and he has only managed to consolidate power ever since. They're also, you know, they're viewed by most Palestinians at this point as as basically subcontractors for the Israeli occupation because they work hand in hand with the IDF to to crack down on on militant groups like the Janine Brigades, which are hostile to the PA's authority. So, and it's not even armed resistance. Um, they also go after civil society. I mean, it's not a free place to live, and it's not a government that at all represents its people. I mean, that's incredible. I guess I had always thought of Israelis and Palestinians as a- antagonists. I hadn't realized that the Palestinian Authority actually works really closely with the Israeli government. But in a city like Janine, how much influence does this Palestinian Authority have? So Israel says the only reason that they are going into Janine and they are going into Janine camp and they are conducting these raids is because the legitimacy of the of the Palestinian Authority has been completely eroded in Janine, and they don't have any presence there. And I mean, that is not wrong. You know, on my visits to Janine in quieter times, you do not see, you know, any services or um, government offices doing what they should be doing. You also don't see police. You know, both Janine camp and also Nablus, the city, which is fairly close, they are essentially under the control of the armed groups at this point. Just to kind of underline how unpopular the Palestinian Authority is, when several senior members of the Authority, you know, people in the president's inner circle, went to Janine to pay their respects to the families and inspect the damage and they were basically booed out of town by really, really angry crowds of young men. That has never happened before. And if that's what Israel wants, I think it's a really self-defeating strategy because if, if Palestine descends into civil war, then there's no way that that won't spill out and affect Israel as well. And so what is the impact in Palestine of the fact that the people who are meant to be running the area, the Palestinian Authority, are seen as so corrupt and so weak? I mean, as we're seeing, it basically means that people, particularly in the areas that have never benefited from the creation of the PA, are starting to feel like they should be taking matters into their own hands and that the PA does not represent them. What that means for the future, it could take many different forms, but particularly after Abu Mazen dies, uh, a civil war within Palestine is not impossible. Hmm. And I think people keep looking at Janine and keep looking at the West Bank, you know, and getting increasingly volatile and thinking, oh, the third intifada is coming. You know, the, the next major uprising is coming. And while I think that is a kind of, you know, that's a romanticized idea, I think in reality, what we are probably going to see is more of what we just saw in Janine, the Gazification of the West Bank. Mm, Uh, What do you mean by that? I think based on how violent Janine is and how violent Nablus is, I mean, these, these are two cities that are basically already war zones for the last year. That violence hasn't spread elsewhere in the West Bank, not on a big scale. 
So I think what Israel is trying to do is kind of keep it contained within these really tiny theatres of fighting so that the the Palestinian resistance groups in these different areas are not able to join up or are not inclined to join up into some kind of wider uh, Palestinian-wide kind of movement. Mm. So they wouldn't have to fight a wider Palestinian movement. They'd be fighting against these little enclaves that they can isolate and raid once a year or whenever they like, as they do right now with the Gaza Strip, the smaller Palestinian territory in the region. Yeah, just sort of gradually, gradually, you know, turning Janine into another little Gaza that's not blockaded, but is definitely kind of isolated from the rest of the West Bank. Mm. That's the message that, that the Israelis are sending to the people of Janine with this operation, is that if you are going to resist and if you are going to commit terrorist attacks and if you are going to fight back when we enter the camp then we are going to do to you what we have done to Hamas in Gaza and we can do it and we will do it. Coming up, why the events in Janine this week are a problem for the whole Middle East and the world. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today in Focus is supported by Better help. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus. Bethan, how did the world react to the events this week? And what did you make of that reaction? Well, I don't think it's a complete coincidence that this operation happened over the July 4th weekend in the US, which means that 
it will have not been as widely covered or noticed in in large parts of the Western world or, you know, in, in the US, which is Israel's most important ally. Apparently, the Israelis did inform the White House that this operation, this offensive was going to take place. And the, the feedback that they got was, you know, this, this standard kind of diplo-speak line of, Israel, you have a right to defend yourself, but, you know, please no civilian casualties. Do you think the world has just given up on trying to influence this conflict in a real way, that they just see it now as more of the same old story? I don't know. I think I think for people who are watching this area, you know, it's understood that this is a major change in tone and a, and a major escalation, particularly in the West Bank. But I don't know how much it's kind of really penetrated with your average normal news consumer or somebody who's only got a passing interest in the area. I mean, like you were saying at the beginning, right? These images look like the scenes that you see from Israel and Palestine all the time, but it's not Gaza this time, it's it's the West Bank. And if, if the West Bank becomes majorly unstable, then we potentially have, you know, a, a region-wide conflict on our hands. And that could also draw in all of the neighbours in the region. So Syria and Lebanon and Iran. So what looks like maybe, you know, just one operation could always be the spark that lights something bigger. And you never really know, unfortunately, until you're kind of in it. Mm. I mean, as you say, from the outside, it looks like the same old violence that we're used to. But from what you're saying, actually, this is a situation that's shifting really quickly. You've got an Israeli government growing more extreme, a Palestinian authority becoming less legitimate. And what's emerging among Palestinians is something potentially far more dangerous than what's come before. I interviewed this aviation expert years ago, and what he told me about how plane accidents happen has always stuck with me because he said that planes don't just fall out of the sky. Planes need, you know, basically A has to happen and then B and then C and then D in a particular order at a particular time for something to go wrong enough that a plane will crash. And the way I see it here, you know, from my flat in Jerusalem at the moment, is that we are kind of lining up those dominoes. So it's not it's not inevitable, but all of the different elements that could lead to a wider conflagration are absolutely being put in place. And it's becoming, I think now, a game of probability and a game of chance. What might light a spark for some bigger kind of conflict. Well, Bethan, on a really busy week, thank you for making time for us. You're welcome. Great to speak to you guys. That was Bethan McKernan, The Guardian's Jerusalem correspondent, whose coverage of the region you can find at theguardian.com. Before we go, and a bit of a change of pace here, if you're on the hunt for a job or sick of what you're currently doing, check out Guardian Jobs, a platform to find work that feels meaningful, fits your values, and hopefully builds a better tomorrow. It advertises roles from a range of industries, but specialises in sustainability, government, social care, charity, and education. To see what's listed, search Guardian Jobs or go to jobs.theguardian.com. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Tom Glasser. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. And we're back Monday. This is The Guardian.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.